Welcome back to the Reggie and Royal podcast. As we left episode 3, Never Say Never, Cryptocurrency Reversals, we had sampled some of the biggest names in finance, each of whom have gone from total skeptics of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, or, from positions of total condemnation, into totally committed, and significantly invested, to the cryptocurrency spaces. This momentum shift should begin to put any remaining skepticisms by lesser-known players completely to rest. Due to the need to shorten that podcast, it has become Never Say Never Part 1, meaning that we will soon have a sequel to Never Say Never, Part 2, as this chorus of previous naysayers to present-day converters continue to grow. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was another big-name institution making a major announcement. By the way, if you are enjoying the podcasts, don't forget to smash the like button, and, subscribe to our channel. This fourth episode is all about how the major global central banks, particularly the Federal Reserve, which in concert with the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, have painted themselves into the proverbial corner over the past 20 years. Their habitual focus on using temporary stimulus to maintain the appearances of the so-called wealth effect, was assumed with all with good intentions. The same steps that began as a process to secure the financial markets from pending calamities, like treating a patient in an intensive care unit, have all matured, and, evolved into a, a different exercise. This is now the care and feeding of a patient that might never again leave the critical care unit and thrive on its own. The markets are now under perpetual care. The consequences of these changes only postpones, and, in some cases, will intensify the future outcomes and events. We must all prepare for this inevitable instability, and, all of its major distortions upon our financial lives. This topic is, like never say never, too much for a single podcast. We're trying to give you as much information as possible, without putting too much into one podcast. Therefore, like never say never, this topic will also begin here, and, complete in a subsequent podcast. With this topic, it's very important for us to describe the current global conditions first, then, for us to weave, or, map them into two recent timeframes. The first time frame surrounds the peak before the pandemic, followed by the fastest plunge in history. The second time frame begins from the period exactly three years ago, from an equity peak in late October of 2018, and, the plunge into the low, near Christmas Day three months later. Peak. Plunge 2018, peak. Plunge 2020, and, peak 2021, right now. We are now somewhat in a pre-plunge scenario, that's again holding up by a thread, largely through the mechanisms of the central bank's manipulation of the asset markets. Let's begin by taking a look at a fairly detailed, numerical and graphic view, the technical backdrop of the asset markets, as a guide for the current situation. First, let's look at the Buffett indicator. One of the best-known, high-level stock market valuations yardsticks is the Buffett indicator. This is simply a ratio of stock market capitalization, to gross domestic product, or, GDP. It makes sense, because, over long periods, stocks should track economic growth. You should refer to a chart of the inflation-adjusted market cap of the S&P 500 to GDP. In the past five years, this ratio has repeatedly surpassed its tech bubble peak from around 20 years ago. In a method of translation, stocks are more expensive relative to GDP than ever before seen in the modern era. This is truly a significant statement. 20 years ago, it was inconceivable that we would return to those levels in our lifetimes. But, here we are. Could they get even more expensive? Of course it can. It's not highly unusual for some stocks to continue higher, as some almost certainly will. But this shouldn't reassure anyone who is putting new money into the market or who holds unrealized gains. There is another interesting chart, 
on price-slash-earnings ratios. A quantity identified as running sigma, is defined by the number of standard deviations from the current month's price-slash-earnings ratio, or, PE, as it falls either above or below the 10-year average. 2. Running sigma and PE ratios. Currently, this running sigma is at approximately 3 sigmas, which is a match, or, in excess of only 7 other peaks in the last 100 years. 2009 is the exception. In that particular case of the 2009 exception, the significant overvaluation was a function of earnings collapsing, rather than excessive prices. In all previous cases in history, the ratio eventually fell to at least zero. With the current sigma is at the levels of previous peaks, additional upside is certainly limited. If the market reverts to that zero sigma, we should expect losses estimated in the 36% range. Remember, a decline to negative readings will result in compounding of losses. If price-to-earnings, or, P.E., were to simply return to what was normal over the last 10 years, that guarantees a 36% loss. But past bear markets didn't stop there. Historically, long periods of overvaluation are reversed by substantial undervaluation. So, the next bear market, whenever it comes, will likely chop prices in half. That's not crazy. It is what we should expect. This also corresponds to a feature of the Buffett indicator, which projects an annual rate of return of the next 10 years of minus 1.9%. This negative rate of return includes the impact of dividends. So, how much stimulus is in the picture at the present time? Let's answer that by saying that the Federal Reserve is in deep trouble. To say that they have thrown in the kitchen sink, or, everything else possible, at financial markets, would be no exaggeration, with the goal of propping up all the risky, speculative asset classes, stocks, corporate bonds, auto loans, mortgages, anything remotely close to defaulting while the economy remains shuttered. So a stimulus inevitably wears off, and, as asset prices initiate their fall, the Fed will be at the end of their rope, with their conventional toolbox as their final no, Fed officials have already dropped interest rates to zero, created an array of alphabet soup asset relief programs with exotic names like CPFF, Commercial Paper Funding Facility, and TALF term asset-backed securities loan facility, and executed yet another round of QE, quantitative easing. Though these actions support asset prices, printing trillions of dollars annihilates the purchasing power of savers, while rewarding yield-thirsty investors that take high risks, for high returns. But that's the aim, the latest administration wants you to buy stocks, not to save money. It's their way of saying, you're doing your part to support the economic expansion. The last hope for the Fed to entice investors is a promise to buy stocks. If the stock market bubble starts to implode, and it will, because it always does, the Fed's final pump, their full corota, will be to acquire various stock ETFs, such as Dollar Spy, Dollar $QQQ, and Dollar DIA, exchange-traded funds tracking the major stock market averages. Are the Fed and Bank of Japan buying stocks? The Fed has a history of implementing policies they condemn initially. They will denounce buying stocks as a realistic policy, performing an immediate 180-degree turn, when stocks begin to plunge. If the central bank's mission is to sustain confidence in a flawed system, inflation over deflation, subsidizing laziness, and punishing productivity, officials will say anything to get the job done. In 2006 it was, subprime contained, from Ben Bernanke. In 2015, it was, I don't see a financial crisis occurring in our lifetime, from Janet Yellen. In 2019, it was, the repo crisis is contained, from Jerome Powell. Also, Powell, former ECB President Mario Draghi, current ECB President Christine Lagarde, 
I'll repeated the phrase, whatever it takes, ad nauseum, which is usually as a last resort in the deepest moments of market distress. If you hear this phrase dot 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 whatever it takes, it's always a very bad sign of current market conditions. As a rule of thumb, if Fed officials say it won't happen, it will eventually. Although not yet involved in an active stock buying campaign, the Fed, however, would not be the first major central bank to buy stocks, the Bank of Japan, BOJ, started buying ETFs back in 2010. But they haven't just dabbled. Recently, Governor Kuroda added ETF purchases in a huge stimulus package, to support the Japanese economy. At the end of February 2020, NLI Research as I'd estimated the BOJ owns 75% of the ETF market. That's 29.6 trillion yen, roughly 4% of the Japanese stock market, according to Wisdom Tree's call. As you might expect, buying ETFs has failed to support stock prices. The BOJ cannot fend off the economic stagflation that's been plaguing the Japanese economy for decades. At this stage, Japan's government might as well give the money they print directly to citizens, as it's more likely to hold its value there than in the Nikkei, Japan's main stock exchange. The Fed recognizes that ETF acquisitions fall short in supporting prices of assets, yet, they will certainly purchase them anyway. They think investors, as well as trading algorithms hooked on cheap money, and also central bank monetary feeding tubes, will certainly plead for more, plumping up the markets, adding a few points to major indices. However, that's all. The indexes will collapse, submitting to financial gravity once again. That is, unless the economic climate recovers incredibly from the greatest economic crisis in a century. If acquiring ETFs is the last resort for the Fed to keep stock levels high, it's insane to believe the stock exchange will continue their periods of outperformance in the distant future. Besides, hope is a ridiculous reason to buy anything. Anticipating any type of asset class to skyrocket in value, by the time you retire, whether that's gold climbing to $5,000, residence prices climbing up 300%, or the S&P 500 rallying to 10000 is insane. When the Fed deals with the reality that buying stocks fails to stabilize prices, their subsequent response that, no one saw coming, will be to enforce negative interest rates. That's the last frontier of flawed economic policy. Naturally, the evidence shows going that listing below the zero bound is damaging economic impacts. Nations like Germany, Switzerland, as well as Japan, have actually reached sub-zero levels with virtually no benefit. Still, we'll undergo the same farcical parody, the marketplace will rally on hope, till everybody figures out negative rates lead directly to harming future growth. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has disagreed that the U.S. will experience negative rates, which implies they are an assurance, saying here, I continue to think, and also my colleagues on the Federal Open Market Committee continue to think, that negative interests are probably not an appropriate, or, useful plan for here in the United States. But like Powell suggesting that the central bank will certainly acquire ETFs, nobody in the government, in the media, or within the Federal Reserve itself, will inform you that, they saw it coming. So, should we be expecting turmoil? It's quite likely before the end of Q1, 2022, since the financial environments are expected to re-engage in some form of correction, based upon the descriptions we've highlighted in both the Buffett indicator and the running sigma. So, how bad is it? Really? Let's break down the amount of Fed stimulus, European Central Bank stimulus, and, Bank of Japan stimulus. Since March of 2020, the Fed has bought $80 billion in Treasury securities and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities, each and every month, in an initiative to keep long-term rates of interest low, and, prop up the U.S. economy, or, 
at least certain sectors, which give an overall impression of general economic strength. The bond purchases, or quantitative easing, were launched last year, as a way to provide liquidity to markets during the economic downturn that coincided with the near-simultaneous end of the business cycle, and, the global pandemic shutdown. BlackRock CIO of Global Fixed Income Rick Reeder expects the Fed could slow purchases by $20 billion a month once it starts the tapering. Once the Fed gets to zero, it could then consider when to raise interest rates, if, by that time, it's deemed appropriate. We do not believe that a full tapering, followed by an increase in rates, is very likely. The effect of tapering itself has a similar impact on cooling economic momentum, very similar to a rate increase. The consequences of both actions would be most certainly negative. The market expectations for rate increases have been pushed forward, and also the euro-dollar futures market currently sees four rate increases by the end of 2023, according to Mark Chandler of Bannockburn Global Foreign Forex. Prior to a recent Fed announcement, futures showed expectations for about 2.5 rate hikes. What is tapering? Here's an overview to why and just how the Fed is making reductions in this crucial area of its crisis-era involvement, and, what that means for the dimensions of its future balance sheet. The Fed has gobbled up trillions in treasuries as well as mortgage-backed securities, MBS, accelerating with the beginning of the pandemic, in a process known as, quantitative easing, QE, to reduce long-term rates of interest, to keep financial conditions flexible, as well as, to help spur demand, similar to the playbook utilized during the 2007-2009 Great Recession. This also happens to be the fourth round of QE since the bottom of the financial crisis, economic downturn in 2008-2009. As we said, it presently buys $80 billion in treasuries, as well as $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities every month. Since it began the program, the Fed's balance sheet has swelled to $8.6 trillion from $4.4 trillion. An $8 trillion stash of treasuries, and, mortgage-backed securities, account for most of its total holdings. The economy, on pace to expand this year at the fastest rate given that the 1980s, needs fewer of the severe measures of intervention, and, keeping them in force can do more harm than good. For example, low mortgage rates have fueled a boom in house prices, but the problems now afflicting the economy are mostly supply issues, while demand, which the bond purchases most directly impact, is buoyant, and also, reveals no indication of failing. They are doing it, because the economy is really strong. The economy can stand on its own, claimed Juliet Coronado, a previous Fed economist, as well as head of state of economic advisory firm, Macro Policy Perspectives. What are the threats of tapering? In no less than half a dozen Federal Reserve meeting notes over the past year, Fed officials have loudly broadcast that they expect that later this year, specifically in November, they will certainly reduce the Reserve Bank's emergency month to month purchases of $120 billion of Treasury bonds, as well as mortgage backed securities. Earlier this year, with its July 28 statement, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, or, FOMC, had started the tapering clock. The FOMC claimed that the economy was making progress towards its goals of full employment, and, with inflation averaging 2% over the longer run, but not the significant additional progress that it is looking for before it begins to decrease its accumulation of long-term assets. The central bank had also delivered a solid message in June when Fed Chairman Powell said officials have actually talked over tapering bond buying, and, would certainly at some point make a decision to start the process of decreasing the purchases. At the very same time, Fed officials added two rate hikes to their 2023 forecast, where there were none previously. The Fed stated that in mid-November, and, also December, 
that it will decrease the quantity of Treasury securities purchases be 10 billion, and, also mortgage-backed securities, by $5 billion monthly. It expects to proceed at that pace in the following months, meaning it would phase out the bond purchases completely by next June. The Fed does not stop them all at once, to avoid disrupting financial markets and sending out, market, rates higher than they would naturally be, claimed Kathy Bosjancic, chief U.S. economic expert at Oxford Economics. Officials also stated that they can quicken, or, slow the speed of purchases, if necessary. The anticipated eight-month rate of tapering is much faster than last time, reflective of the Fed's confidence in the sharpest economic rebound in decades, and, a desire to position for an increase in interest rates, from near zero, next year, if inflation remains persistently high. Its completion of peak dovishness, bleakly Global Advisors' major financial investment policeman Peter Buchver stated. It's not going hawkish. It's simply past peak dovishness. This market reaction is as if they were currently tapering. United State Fed Balance Sheet Growth Rich World Central Bank's balance sheets will have grown by $11.7 trillion U.S. dollars throughout 2020-21, jobs J.P. Morgan Chase, a bank. By the end of this year their combined weight will certainly be $28 trillion U.S. dollars the equivalent of nearly three-quarters of the market capitalization of the S&P 500 today. Central bankers are about to transform this megatanker of stimulation around. The original justifications for QE have actually virtually dissipated. At the beginning of the epidemic, reserve banks purchased bonds to calm panicky markets, in the flight to safety, and, also a naturally corresponding, drive to cash. Yet, it became quite clear that the pandemic would create a massive financial downturn, that would send inflation over a cliff, QE was required to improve, or, at least balance, the economic climate. Currently, markets are buoyant, and, inflation is resurgent. In America, it looks all of a sudden strange that the Federal Reserve is the greatest purchaser of treasuries, as it remained in the very first quarter of 2021. The economic situation is powering through. In June it included robust job numbers, according to numbers launched on July 2. On Wall Street, cash is so abundant, that $750 billion or more frequently gets stashed overnight at the New York Fed's reverse repo facility, wiping up some of the liquidity infused by QE. The Fed's purchases of mortgage-backed securities, amid a heated real estate market, currently looks outrageous. Bank of Japan Balance Sheet and Asset Growth Total assets held by the Bank of Japan, rose to 714.56 trillion yen, or, 6.5 trillion US dollars, in fiscal 2020, that bank's data showed very recently, quadrupling in the eight years under Governor Haruhiko Kuroda's aggressive monetary easing, and, growing to 1.3 times the size of the Japan's economy. This is more than double the size of the European Central Bank balance sheet, which is at 53% of the GDP of the Eurozone. In December of 2020, the Bank of Japan took over as the biggest owner of the nation's stocks. Massive exchange-traded fund purchases by the Bank of Japan, to support the market amid the pandemic last year, combined with additional valuation gains, pushed its Japanese equity portfolio to 45.1 trillion yen or, $434 billion US dollars, in November, according to estimates by Shingoide, chief equity strategist at NLI Research Institute. This represents a tenfold increase in under six years. About three years ago, Japan's central bank became the first among G7 nations to own assets collectively, worth more than the country's entire economy, following a half-decade spending spree designed to accelerate weak price growth. The Bank of Japan has thus become the world's second central bank after the Swiss National Bank, and, 
the first among group of seven countries to own a pool of assets larger than the economy within which it is trying to stimulate. ECB and Fed growth since Q1 of 2020, the balance sheet of the European Central Bank has exploded from under 5 trillion euros, to over 8 trillion euros, now at 8.3 trillion year, as of October 22, 2021. This is the equivalent of 9.6 trillion US dollars. The combined growth for the ECB and the Fed was 7 trillion US dollars, in about a year and a half. This is more than was added in the previous decade. Total Central Bank Asset Purchases In the period from 2009, to projections through 2022, global central bank assets have increased from 5 trillion to 30 trillion US dollars, or, a 500% increase. Annual flow was a steady 1 trillion to 2 trillion US dollars per year, at least before the pandemic panic burst for the year 2020, when an annual rate of 8 trillion US dollars were briefly added, before returning to the pre-pandemic level. In our next podcast, we'll extend and complete this discussion of this multifaceted global central bank dilemma, by comparing current market conditions, with conditions of 18 months ago, before the simultaneous economic cycle conclusion slash pandemic plunge an epic intersection of natural economic cyclic events, and, the totally unexpected global health crisis. So be sure to catch us next time, for part 2. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to smash the like button, and, subscribe to our channel. Until next time, let's, stay, busy.